McNulty stunning for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO4 Forecast episode 124. Well forget the pizza trophy because Pompey beat Sunderland 4-0. Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you Freddie? I'm not so bad to you, thank you. Yeah, I had, had a bit of a stress before the, before the podcast because you said you might not have been there. Imagine me having to host this thing. It would have been, compl- uh, the listeners wouldn't have known what to do. I reckon it would be a genuine upgrade, let's be honest, Freddie. Don't at me about that because it would destroy my self-confidence, everyone listening to the show. But yeah, no, you would have done a great job. But Andy's not here, but joining us today is Jonty Coleman. How are you, Jonty? Yeah, very good, mate. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, nice one, mate. I should have said Hampshire Live's Jonty Coleman. You need to get that in there, really. You know? <laughs> it's in there now. It's in there now. <laughs> there you are, since you're a serious media person. We have to go get your title in there. Freddie doesn't Freddie yeah. doesn't get it. He works for the news, but we just... <laughs> oh, God, we've got, we got a JPI media journalist and a Reach journalist on. The, the, the world's frozen over, isn't it? Fucking evil boys. That's what I'm saying. I'm standing here for the independent people with no ties. Respect. Um, yeah, no, I managed to lock myself out of my own house and then my car broke down. So, yeah, Freddie was pretty much going to have to step in and, and try and host the podcast himself. But he's looking a lot more relaxed now. He's not having to do this sort of time thing. I, I did get a lot of panic messages from Freddie, I won't lie. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> there was a bit of panic, but, but Hugh made it back just in time. So we're all good. Exactly. Oh, right. oh, at the last minute, at the last minute, usually I do a little bit of prep, a few, a few anecdotes, uh, no, nothing serious. And then Hugh just said, I can't get into my house. And so I thought, oh God, I have to get a running order together and whatever. It was stress I wasn't used to. If we get enough DMs at PO Forecast, we can release the messages via screenshot to the, to the general public of Freddie panicking. So let us know if you want those posted and shot around the internet, people, at PO Forecast. All right, let's get into it. So, first of all, we're going to review the emphatic thumping of Sunderland. Following from that, we're going to talk about the rather disappointing 2-0 loss to Sutton United at home. And then we went out to you guys and we said, since Ronan Curtis managed to get himself banned for this game, who's going to replace him up top? And do you think we should stick to the same formation? And then we spoke to Matt from the New York Talk podcast to let you guys know everything you need to know about the game on Saturday against Rotherham. Right, let's go. Let's get into it. First one, Sunderland. First of all, I had a fucking amazing day, not going to lie. I was I went out on Friday night drinking quite a lot to celebrate a massive win at my work, which turned into me in a gin bar at sort of like gone past midnight and then at a house party. So when I rolled down to Fratton Park to meet the guys, I've got to say I'd already had a few. Um, and it carried on from there, the party atmosphere. We met some of the guys we know from, we spoke to Rory at Roker Report and people like that. And I went round the the brewery telling people that they were going to spank us 3-1, which really annoyed all the Sunderland fans because they were 
kept saying I was going to curse it and I was going to be to blame if uh, Pompey managed to turn him over. And lo and behold, we beat him 4-0. So, John T, I want to know from your perspective what your feeling was generally on the win. Was it, as Sunderland fans try and make out to be, some sort of fluke result due to the lovely weather conditions? Or is that all just a bit salty and really they just didn't manage to adapt to the conditions? Considering this game was 11 days ago, there's so much I can say about it. I'll start off with the pitch. and Both teams had to play on it. Um, it's not like Sunderland were on a, an, an aquatic plane and Pompey, Pompey's side was just nice and dry. You know, they played on both sides. And um, I think one point that I believe and that everyone else in the press box sort of tend to agree with was that if that game is nil enough time, that's probably getting called off. And as Danny Cowley said, you'd be a brave man to call off a game at 3-0 up at half-time especially on the run Pompey had been on. Bratton Park was sold out. You'd be very brave to call that off. Um, it was very surprising. We all know how bad Pompey had been for weeks going into that game. I mean, there was a bit of encouragement from the games against Plymouth and Charlton, but in general, like Burton had been four days before that and less said about Burton, the better. But it was such a good result. For me personally, I didn't enjoy it as much as I would have liked to because there was just that little part of my brain thinking, what if it gets called off? And not until the final whistle um, was like was able to kind of enjoy it. Um, you know, it was it was brilliant. You know, I thought Pompey, you take away the pitch and and sort of all the complaints from the Sunderland fans and the staff, uh, Pompey were excellent. They were, they were, they were absolutely fantastic. Um, they got the game spot on. Um, I thought Roman Curtis is brilliant. Um, John Marquis was brilliant. Again, considering the run of form he's been on and and yeah, it was just by the end of it, it was a really, really good day when it when it really couldn't have been like no one expected that at all. Yeah, we were shitting ourselves down to 75 minutes, which is I believe if you call it off after that time, then you get the result your way. It gets concluded at the result time. Well, so any time before that, I think it becomes a reset of the game. And I'm not, I think that's pretty much what happened. But I was drunk well, in the crowd. We, we looked into it. We tried looking into it and we couldn't find anything official. The closest thing we got was if it gets called off early at any stage, it's it's off, regardless of if it's five minutes left or anything. So that was kind of like why we were just panicky until literally that final whistle went. But you could tell from the officials that they had no intentions of calling that game off, um, despite Lee Johnson's severe protest. Um, and I did enjoy the Sunderland fans ch- chanting, call it off, call it off. That was one of my favourite away chants of the season so far. So, so hats off to them. Imagine being a football fan and asking uh, asking for a, a game to be called off because you're playing that badly. Oh dear! Make some do, oh, dear. It? Especially when you travelled all the way down from the northeast to watch it as well. Oh, that's yeah, another dig. Serious miles oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's mad. It's madness, isn't it? But no, I was pretty impressed with the whole game. I did think though that Sunderland didn't really put any pressure on our defence throughout the game, which sort of meant that all this talk about how they could get on the front foot and you know how you know Williams are struggling maybe with the offside trap and they weren't necessarily tracking tracking back properly and it just sort of evaporated because there was no pressure from Sunderland from the front which really helped us and I know they moaned about the wing play well guess what we scored our goals going down the left hand side so is what it is I suppose for them etc but no pretty happy all round I thought that everyone looked looked pretty good I thought Marcus Harness looks better again in that 10 position in that game I think it's, he's got a bit more freedom in behind the two there 
I'm, I'm starting to like that. I know some fans are a little bit sort of sceptical, but he still get, keeps getting goals and assists. So and for me in that position, um, he's looking good. The wing backs look pretty decent. Joe Morrell was my player to the game. I thought he really controlled the middle of the pitch. Sunderland have got quite a lot of good midfielders down the centre and I was worried that they could potentially dictate the tempo, get on the ball and do that. But we pretty much seemed to to get on the ball. I thought Joe was a big part of that as well. He's sort of very tenacious for a, quite a small player, isn't he? Um, but do you think, Freddie, it was also just down to the fact that Pompey sort of just wanted it more. Every time there was a 50-50 ball, we came up with the we came up with the ball. We we looked like we were up for it. I think Ronan Curtis and Sean Raggett definitely did some sliding tackles that travelled about 10 yards across the pitch at one point, sort of sliding in, luckily got the ball. Do you think it was as well as a as well as obviously a talent perspective, just but we wanted it more? Absolutely, that's a big part of it. Um, <clears throat> you, you can't win games if you're not if the players aren't 100 committed, and and usually look at the events stats. Pompey do win their duels a bit more than the opposition in general. So that's always a good sign if you're winning the ball more than more in general. You have more chance of controlling the play. But the big thing for me was the execution of the final ball. Every time was spot on, which hasn't been the case for ages now and a month it was the the example of Brown's goal there was what there was one twos from the side from Harness and Marcus with the flick but beforehand those passes wouldn't wouldn't have come off I don't think either, either the, the players would have strayed on it they would have taken too much time or the pass would have been a yard off but no everything clicked going forward and that was a big thing but obviously winning those extra tackles was definitely a little bit of an extra boost, I think. John T, the change from Burton was, I, I sort of felt as well that there was a little bit, the players were a little bit looser. They sort of knew where they were going. I think they obviously got a kick up the arse from Danny Cowley and stuff. And you saw against Burton little things like one of the goals we conceded when Romeo sort of received the ball and then sort of didn't have anyone come to him and, and there was no sort of support player around him, which is obviously the system that Danny Cowley wants you to give someone an option always to pass the ball out. Do you feel that it was just a bit of one of those games that they just sort of clicked the system and used it? Or do you think it was because there wasn't so much structure that it was, it was easier for us to play? Yeah, I think... I think a lot of that is, I think, partly down to the fact that they did sort of have a kick up the backside after Burton. You know, Danny Howard was savory, to say the least, after Burton. And rightly so, it was really bad. But to Burton's credit, they, they ran at Pompey They proper, I'm surprised they're as low down as they are in the table because the way they played that night, you know, they were just so aggressive in your face. They wanted that so much. And if they played like that most team, most weeks, they'd comfortably be a top six side, comfortably. But Sunderland, you know, considering the form they've been on going into that game, I expected so much more from them. And, well, can you remember a Sunderland chance? Because I can't. Um, and, and that's baffling to even think about because, like, they'd come in, the form they'd been on was so good. Um, and they'd, you could tell the fans were just really getting behind this team at a minute. They're really full of confidence and, you know, you can see why. But, no, I think it just kind of, it just... Players seem to do things that they just didn't seem to do at Burton. They didn't really create many chances at Burton, but at least at Sunderland, the ones that they created, they took, which we've, I don't think we've seen that all season. So, you know, they created loads of good chances. And in fairness, it probably could have been five or six. He had one or two others. But I think that's the one thing from that you can take that we've not seen all season, is that they created good chances and they took them. You know, you look at Haas's goal. He gets a bit lucky with deflection, but it's a really good strike. He's picked up a good position. Uh, Brown's got what team goal that is. It's brilliant. 
Um, Marquis, I mean, we can tell if he'd actually got a final touch on it, but it's a really good board from Curtis. And if you're going to put it in that area, you're always going to cause problems. And Marquis's persistence with his second goal, you know, yes, he did get a bit of fortune, but to get in that position, to get on the end of, um, I can't remember his, but I think it was Morel's pass into him, a little chip. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, so that was really good as well. And, you know, just really pleasing, really encouraging. And, you know, plenty of spirits are high. Um, we're going to talk about Sutton in a minute, which is going to be the exact opposite of this conversation. But luckily, most of those players in that Sunderland game didn't play last night. So, you know, at least that is a positive. Yeah. Yeah, my spirit's slightly dampened even then just by the word certain being mentioned straight away then. But just just focusing on this game, I suppose, John Marquis, Freddie, we we were talking about does he need to come out the squad and what can we do to fix him? And it was one of those things that sometimes when you give up hope on someone, it seems that that's exactly the moment that they prove you wrong. And a bit like last season with John, he sort of scores in bunches, doesn't he, when he gets gets going. So if if he can keep his positioning up like he did against Sunderland, getting into the right spaces, like Johnty mentioned for the first goal, you know, reading the balls through, the, that, that sort of determination to get up and, and score. Do you think this is maybe the start of a flurry of goals we can expect from John Marquis? Well, look at the previous record, then maybe like last season, he got most of his goals in that one big batch in November, December, January time when, when he was playing really well. I do think the formation has helped him a lot considering the move to basically have a 3-4-1-2. So, so people are quite close to him. Uh, his teammates team move, move around him, but Marcus is moving off the ball as well. has been good. He, in a lot of times, he has been getting into the right place. It's just the service has been a bit bad. Um, the difference with this time, though, is he took his chances. He, t- he took all of them, and that was great, and was fully involved. And in this pressing attacking style of football that Danny Carly wants to implement. It, it, uh, there's no real any other option um, other than John Marcus to start. So even if you're frustrated with the form, who else would you have played? I, I don't think. I think I had me and Hurst were behind and Harrison had his chance in the league and didn't take it. So you would have had to persist with Marcus almost by default. But no, I'm glad he basically had his best game of the season so far, got his brace, which he deserved. And yeah, uh, I, I hope I hope he kicks on from here because Pompey do need a proper striker to uh, contribute as well as the rest of the players going forward. And then we move on to the not quite as glamorous win. Let's be honest, after battering Sunderland 4 now, we go and play the next game after a lovely little break at the weekend and we lose, to, well, let's just say lose to, to Sutton first of all 2 now. John TV, I'm guessing you were at the game. I'm going to put that out there. Were you at the game? I'm giving the little nod there. Yes, yes. Oh, lucky you, mate. Lucky you. (laughs) I think Matt was telling us who he speaks to later on the podcast that he was at the England game and was pretty disappointed. I'm not really sure who got the worst straw. I'm going to say it was you. I'd be baffled if it wasn't me. Um, (laughs) That was awful, um, to put it politely. Um, that, That was just the perfect opportunity for... Poppy's fringe players to to prove kind of prove a worth and knock down Danny Cowley's door uh, for for minutes in the first team. Not a single one did. I don't even think the, the first team regulars we had Marlon Romeo, Sean Raggett, and Lee Brown all starting. And I don't think any of them impressed either. Um, and Kieran Freeman and uh, Sean Williams also came on in that game and got. I think Freeman played about 55, 60, and Williams got forty five. Again, I can't like my player ratings. The highest was a six, 
So, <laughs> so, so yeah. And against you know, Danny Cowley didn't hide from the fact that Sutton were going into this game. Uh, we're in really good form in the league, um, and they're they've had a they've just, you know full of confidence. They've had a good year or two, and rightly so. They they also made six changes to Pompey's eight and. The first half of football was just awful. You know, it was a really bad game, but Sutton looks like if any team was going to score, it was going to be them. And I wasn't completely surprised when they went 1-0 up. Uh, it was a cross from the right that just wasn't dealt with that well at all. First shot from Oluwafe, it was a good block from Freeman, but it just landed straight back in. He's drilled in the rebound. Uh, and the second... God, this was awful. And what you've got to consider is, yes, they've gone down to 10 men by this point because they'd already uh, used three substitutes by this, um, two of which were injury-enforced. And um, so, yeah, so there was that. Um, but a cross comes into the back post. It gets headed across goal. And it seems to hit, I think it was Lee Brown. It was someone's hand. And it just stops dead right in front of Louis John. He's got so much time. Just thumps it in from about six, eight yards out. Like, you know, not a lot of Alex Bass can do about like that. Um, but it was just such a bad goal. It's awful anyway to concede. But especially when it's a rotated Sutton side versus at that point, what has basically been Pompey's back three, back five for the last five or six games. It's shocking, really shocking. They, every, everyone's seen the stats where they've, they had two shots in the entire game, none on target. I think the only chance of any kind of note came in like the last five, ten minutes through Rico Hackett, where he sort of came in on the right, got I can't remember who passed it out to him, but he shot across goal. It was a half chance at best, but that was the only chance he had. So so that was the chance. And you know, it wasn't a proper one really. So no, it was awful. Um we're all that like I, like I said, you look at players like Gasana Hadme, George Hurst, Michael Jacobs. Um, you know, those those players like that, that that was a golden opportunity for. None of them took it. None of them really came close to taking it. Yeah, yeah. You just really wanted some of these players to sort of give Danny Cowley a bit of a headache and show that Pompey have a bit more depth in the squad than we were concerned about and saying about how this was a, a great first 11, but paper thin after that. And you do worry that if we, you know, a couple of key players go down and some of these players have to come into the squad, that we're going to, to, add, to add, Sorry, just to add some context to this. A week ago, a week today from the time of recording, uh, Pompey played Bournemouth in a behind-closed-doors friendly. For it, it sounded like it was a very similar team, slightly stronger, actually, that played Sutton and that played Bournemouth and played a very strong Bournemouth team, beating 3-0. Apparently, we were absolutely incredible against Bournemouth a week ago. Like, Gatan got a couple of goals, George Hurst scored. Apparently, it was a great performance. And that and, and it excited a lot of the coaching staff because they had seen, right, go and do that now against Sutton and who knows where it might lead. And that makes it even more infuriating because they'd, we've seen glimpses or we know what these players have done at other clubs or in pre-season. Like Gassan, for example, he's got 10 in five in friendlies. He just needs to pretend every game's a friendly because it does all right. And, and most of those have been against championship sides. So it's not like they've been, obviously had his hat trick against uh, Haven and Waterlooville. And, you know, I think that is still fair enough to question, okay, can you do it? But the rest of them have all been against championship clubs. So <laughs> so it's, it's bewildering. George Hurst, I've seen nothing from him so far. I'd like to, the, the, the one sort of, a sort of trait, I guess, that I've picked up from watching him 
is that he can hold the ball up really well. He can be a bit of a handful. But but that's it. That's literally it. Um, Paul Downing it went off injured before half-time. Ellis Harrison came on and received well. I, I didn't get a chance to see a replay because there's obviously not many, many highlights of a Papa John's Trophy game, but it did look like Ellis Harrison's injury is quite bad. Fingers crossed it's not. Um, I believe he went for a scan on it this morning, um, but it did look pretty bad. Um, Hadji Minogue, of course, is on loan at Bromley, but he can play in this competition. He went off of, I don't think it was a serious injury, but it was a dead leg. But that's three. They've, they've made eight changes and they've picked up three injuries. And it's not the biggest of squads. They've, they've got cover pretty much in every position, but sort of one or two of. It's not incredibly packed out. So when you pick up a, two or three injuries or a suspension, you quickly realise it. And when you pick up a few in one game with a couple already out or suspended, it's a bit scary. We've seen that already, haven't we? When as soon as when when Ogilvy was injured and we're having to play Sean Williams at left centre half, it's the squad is not as deep as we would like to be honest. Obviously, it's hard, and obviously there's bound to be a drop from the first team players to, to players in there around the squad. That's going to happen, but at the moment, it seems that this was the sort of game where, even though yes, it's in the EFL Trophy, and yes, I hate that competition because of B teams, blah 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 blah, blah but. It was still a fairly important game to see. Okay, what's what are the what are the squad players got? What has Gasana Hadley got when he's actually given a chance? Because people were saying before Marcus got his brace against Sunderland that maybe he should start. What what has Michael Jacobs got? Since all that we seem to be talking about with him was that that failed move to Ipswich, and that has seemed to have dogged the rest of his career since. It hasn't. It, it wasn't great. Neil Allen described it as wretched, and more besides. In the, in the news as well, no, just not the right, not the right sort of game to get your hopes up. And really, long term, fans will be looking at January and next summer again, which has basically been the narrative since the start of the season. Without saying it was bad, I think I was more concerned about what was going on in Pudding Week in Bake Off than that first half because it was it was terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it wasn't just me, like, you know, all the press, but obviously there was a lot of less press there last night because, you know, it was only a Papa Trophy game, but the regulars of us were there and all looking around each other like, what is this game of football? It was, it was really bad. But I did think Sutton, you know, for the changes they made, you know, did a job and it brought a couple hundred, I think it's 198 away fans, but, you know, fair play to them. They, you know, they deserve that win. It wasn't like, Pompey had deserved something from the game for something completely deserves all in that and, and fair play to them. But yeah, Michael Jacobs, I don't know what's going on. Has this Ipswich had an effect um, on him more than likely? You know, and rightly so, it sounded like what he kind of went through was pretty horrible. But whenever he's played, like, I take a look back at that Basingstoke Town game in the Hampshire Senior Cup, played him, he's way above that level. But he didn't look it. That's part of the issue. And at least when he played last season, he, he looked a really good player. You could tell why Kenny Jacket signed him. He's got so much League One championship experience, a lot of promotions at this level as well. And yes, he picked up quite a few injuries, but when he did play, he looked like a really exciting player. But he's not done that this season. Of course, he's not had many minutes this season, but when you put him in a game like that, when you put him in that, they also played Mil- uh, sorry, not Mil- Wimbledon last month, um, same sort of thing. He, he didn't impress it either. Um, of course, he didn't play. There's quite a lot of players out of position or in different positions last night. But it's worth 
um, mentioning. Hajim Noga played as a central midfielder. Uh, Lee Brown played as on the left of a back three, which compared to recently, he's done really well in that wing-back role. So again, that kind of shackled him a bit. Um, Gassan played in a front two, whereas he's better in a 10 or like as the second striker. But he sort of played in the front two with Jacobs in the 10. And Jacobs, as we've quickly found out, is much better sort of as a narrow left winger. So there was quite a few players out of position, but still, like especially, they brought on Sean Williams at half-time for Hadji Minoga because he picked up a dead leg. And Sean Williams, again, in central midfield, we haven't seen him a lot of there recently because he's been playing as a centre-back. But he's got so much quality. We know what he can do. He's got so much, so much experience. But even he, in that 20 minutes before Pompey went down to 10 men especially, didn't really offer anything. And, you know, you can sympathise with the squad slightly when they go down to 10 men for 25 minutes. And that's not easy to deal with, especially when you've got this sort of makeshift team playing. But but still, some some players should have come out of that with any kind of credibility. But I don't think any of them did. John, did you think because they did well again in the game against Bournemouth, and maybe I'm just clutching at barrels of hay here, but... Do you, do you think that it could be chalked down to just one of those games that's bit maybe more of a one-off anomaly and the fact that some of these players will be better than the performance they put in in this game? And maybe, if you're trying to be uber positive in this sense, that some of these players could add something to the squad they just didn't really show it. And that's maybe reflected by players like Williams coming in and Lee Brown playing, etc. that we know can play well in this team. So maybe there is a bit of hope for these squad players or should we just write it all off now? <laughs> no, it's, no, no, no. I, I never want to write anything off unless you see something that's so bad time and time and time again. Obviously, a lot of the players we haven't seen that much this season. So, you know, obviously, back. regardless, Paul Downing, you know, we could probably write yeah. him off. You know, yeah. Hurst, Hurst yeah, is yeah, onto my list now. Another, to write off. <laughs> he's got another injury, which Danny Cowley said he felt sorry for him because, well, how many hamstring injuries has Paul Downing got this year or in the last couple of years? So many. Um, but I look back at that Wimbledon game because the team was pretty similar from, from last night in the Wimbledon game. And again, not many players impressed that night as well. Harrison obviously got a pretty good hat-trick that night. Um, Rika Hackett was okay in that game. Louis Thompson did all right in that game. Um, but at least a few players came out of that credibility in that one. No, no one did last night. Clearly, they're not all bad players. Clearly, they have got talent. Clearly, they will add something. But the problem is, because Pompey haven't got like an under-23s team as such, and they're not in leagues where like a number of league one clubs have um, under-23s teams at this level, they're not going to get many games. If and, and because realistically, Pompey are going to probably be out of this competition, barring a miraculous set of results, that's probably them out now. So that's the issue, you, you know. You're not going to make eight changes in a league game just because the players need the minutes. You can't do that. So, so that's where my concern is. They need. They actually needed to win that, if anything, just to give themselves a few more games. So, so that is an issue. Clearly, they're good players on that in that team last night. In like this, um, when without including Romeo Brown, Raggett, because obviously they're regular starts in the first team. There's clearly good players in there, but. It's just when they're going to get a chance to to prove themselves because they seem to be quite, based off last night showing and last night showing alone, there's a big gap between the 11 at Sunderland that's, that's way up here and, well, 
I don't think my laptop's big enough to see how how much lower they were last night. You got a giant was, hole in the floor awesome. in the floor there, John. See that you could yeah, point. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that, and a bit lower. Um, but but yeah, yeah, it, it was a concern at all. But but I like to think they're all much better than that, and I think we all know that they're much better than that. I assumed uh, eagle eagle eared listeners would have noticed Johnsy's mention of an under twenty three side. Yes, Eisner's and Andrew Cullen. If you're listening, that's another reason we've been talking about that to death for ages I thought I'd give that a mention yeah I tried to uh, drop it in on Express with Jake on Friday I changed the topic from talking about the stadium onto the academy just switched it mid-talk the host in me couldn't help but just change the direction of the conversation Jake was cool with it obviously but ha- you have to drop it in there because let's be honest as, as Freddie mentioned Colchester of a, cat- a category uh, two academy and uh, we're, we're really just lagging behind and we need an under-23s team to develop any of these young players so we've been telling Mark Catlin for years he told us we were wrong and the the under-23 system is bogus and is not needed and he wants to use the loan market it's a waste of time all that kind of stuff and obviously you can't loan players out from your under-23s team right well, obviously you can so it seems stupid to try and pick between the two of them but we won't go on too much about the academy and to be honest we have to just knock this one down just chalk this one off aren't we boys let's be honest no one cares about this competition now we've already won it let's let's just move on with life we're already the longest holders of this trophy anyway due to covid breaking out just like the fa cup before and the war and all those cool stats so we can we could hold on to that apart from that let's just focus on the league and then move on but yeah, it, it is disappointing to interrupt you there do, do pompey need to win trophies when they know they might keep it for a bit longer than they should because clearly, because clearly, it was quite a good record of that. If they know that, oh, we might have a year off, or you know, there's that World Cup coming up, that's going to have a bit of an effect on the season. It's win true. some stuff around it. I think it's the other way around. I think if we win something, I'm surprised nothing happened in 2008. You know, there's no other sort of climate crisis going on there, or something. <laughs> something happened after the ash we won cloud. It. The ash clouds was around then. I think, was, I think that was 09 or 10, but. Like yeah. a, rogue, a rogue migrating bird issue that something like takes down power lines or something. I don't know. I don't know. We'll demise. Let's move on. Anyway, so Sutton, we're over that now. But we spoke to you guys and we said to you, with Ronan Curtis suspended in the game, thanks to a great yellow card pick up against Sunderland, who will replace him up top with John Marquis? And let's be honest, we've, we've already spoke about how well the strikers performed in the uh, in the last game. So this is going to be an interesting one. But we also said, should Pompey stick with the same formation with Curtis out of the side? And thank you everyone for messaging in. Really appreciate it. It makes the show. So it's not just us three talking about our thoughts. It's all about you guys messaging in. So let's get into it. And let's say Peter Fergus messages in. He says, after watching the match yesterday, I wouldn't feel comfortable with anyone else on the wing. Well, I mean, sort of up front, but on the wing, surely, surely we've got to get someone in. Maybe not Michael Jacobs, as, as Jonty said, but guys, just to get your opinions, is it Rico that's got a fit in his position? Is he the Ronan Curtis's natural replacement? There, there are two choices, yeah. I think. I think there are two choices. Rico Hack is obviously the most logical one, but I saw a comment that you're probably going to go to. I don't mind the idea. If he if he's fit because he's played he played international football in the week putting Miguel Aziz at ten and then playing Harness up top with Marquis like last season may may to some people weaken the ten position behind him but that 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 partnership worked well last season it it, it because of, because of the movement off the ball and so on and Aziz has played so well in international break he might he might deserve a an, an extra go in the minute side surely. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, that, that's a shout. Um, I think personally, formationally, if you look at the, the four games since they've gone through at the back, Plymouth was a two, whereas the rest were more of a 3-4-3 three, three rather than a 3-4-1-2. Three, so I think it depends kind of, Cal, Cal has clearly got two options. But I think if you look at the last few, it'll probably go 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, I think that it will probably be Rico Hackett on the left and it'd be a three. Although I quite like the idea of Harness because... I don't think he had the best of games at Plymouth, but he showed some promise. He was really direct, which perhaps we don't see enough of when he plays out wide. Um, or he can be. He, he's probably more direct when he's in a central role. So I do kind of like that idea of him maybe central and close to, to Marquis, especially, um, you know, if if Rotherham do struggle with pace and directness, that, that could work because I think Harness is the best option. In, in Pompey's squad for that. Uh, Aziz in a 10, I think is a good shout as well. What I watched is, I watched him play for England under 20s on Monday, I believe it was, against Czech Republic. And I think he had a really good game. But of course, um, Czech Republic's under 20s and the top end of League One um, is, is quite different. So, but it is good to see him get some minutes because he's hardly played since he's, he's been, he's, in fact, since he's been at Pompey, he's played more for England than he has for Pompey. So, but yeah, but, but there was encouraging signs there. And I think, you know, it might be worth giving it a, a shot. Um, it just kind of depends what game plan Callie wants to go with, what he thinks is going to unlock Rotherham best. But I think if you're going for a straight swap in a 3-4-3, I'd personally go hack it over Curtis on current form, like he did against um, MK Johns. It's interesting, a little bit with Aziz going into 10. When we spoke to Max at Arsenal.com, he was telling us that it's not really his natural position. He's, he sees himself much more as an 8 than a 10, who can play as a 6, really, as a sort of deep-lying playmaker who then brings the ball forward. So it does sound a little bit pompy to have a player who's not a 10 playing in a 10 position again. But, <laughs> I mean, maybe at this level and the sort of players he'd be coming up against and sort of from a skill sort of dribbling basis and passing, maybe that will suit him to play in the 10. But it does sort of... I wouldn't be surprised if he does look maybe not quite like a 10 and people expect him to come in and be this sort of, you know, creative number 10 and he actually is, is more of an eight, really, which sort of lends me to think that's more of a three-man midfield with Morel and Tunnicliffe. Yeah, Tuffy. Um, as you kind of mentioned, it depends who you ask about Aziz because everyone has a different answer. I think he's mainly played as an eight, which, as you, as you touched on there, which is where he played for England on Monday. Um, but like an attack-minded eight, really quick move the ball, a lot of direct running. Um, at Arsenal, they used him a lot as a six. Um, and he says he says himself that one of his idols is Sergio Busquets and the way he plays and controls, pull the strings, that sort of thing. But when I interviewed him, uh, he lost the score goals and create assists, which suggests he's better suited to a 10. So, <laughs> so yeah, see, I think you've got options. I think he's got certain skills, like certain attributes that, that suit each role a bit differently. It makes him reverse style, which is always a good thing. And I think Pompey don't have a natural 10 in the squad at the minute. Like, Harness is, is one of the better options because I don't think that, that Pompey have got a proper 10 in this squad at present. So yeah, Harness or Aziz, if if, if he goes for sort of a, a one behind two, Harness or Aziz would be the better options available. Yeah, and the strike force is usually fluid anyway, even if it's a 3-4-3 three, three or, or a one behind a two. Yeah. The players interchange a lot anyway. So, it, it, yeah. And Cowley's mentioned in numerous interviews, he's not always hung up on formations. He's 
hung up on more on style of play, isn't he? I had a pound for every time he said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, it, I, I think that if those two options can still work. It's obviously a shame that Curtis isn't playing because I think he's been playing exceptionally well recently and the yellow card that he got was a bit silly and I'm sure Cowley wasn't happy about that. But yeah, there are potential options there, which is a bit different to what we were saying earlier with the squad being as thin as it is. Dante, is that is that rum and coke you're drinking or Jack Daniels? No, 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 no. It's just a it's just a Pepsi Max actually. To be oh right, it was it's making me no. feel like going to my beer fridge while you two are talking. Oh, oh sorry. And a can up. <laughs> I mean, by all means, go and grab one. But it was just it was just a plain Pepsi Max for me. Oh, all right, fair enough. Yeah, all right. Well, I might, I might, I might do that anyway. Just need any excuse. It seems like Dave Moore. <laughs> he says that Rico is the only realistic option. I think maybe in a in a in a sort of a straight swap, you could say if you kept the formation the same, Curtis sort of provides that that running, which he's sort of that player who can peel off, you can run, you can shoot, you can provide that, and he sort of provides that maybe off Marquis in that sort of different way. So maybe he's a natural switch of a player who's most similar I suppose even in a straight swap if he wants to keep the two together do you think that Freddie that that would be a, a fair swap or do you think he's going to struggle on his own up top with Marcos then I don't, I don't think he'll struggle but because like, like we said um, the formation and the attackers are very fluid anyway so if he does like to drop in a tiny bit deeper and collect the ball then he can do he's definitely he's definitely got the pace on him to be that attack minded forward and he's played he's played on the wing before so he's so he's used to that. I wouldn't say he he'd be entirely out of place playing in a up front alongside Marcus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's ideal obviously because you'd want a natural striker there but I definitely think he's one of the more solid options you could pick from. So John T, would you rather Freddie's slash let's be honest, he stole the idea from Alfie. Would you rather have Alfie's opinion then of, of um playing harness up top and putting Rico behind him? Do you think that works better or do you think it would have to be one or the other or Yeah, yeah. I I don't I you know, we kind of touched on it. He's a very fluid frontline in this, although structurally it does kind of go back sort of out of possession, we will go back to that three for three. Um I think Harness, if you are going to play him central, I think you do need to play him slightly deeper. I think if Cowley does go for a two up top, then he would need a, a proper second striker, um, which Ellis Harrison's probably going to miss a game through injury. George Hurston and Gasson me were awful on Tuesday without putting it too harshly. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so it's quite an issue. Obviously, Rico's played a, a bit, a fair bit in his career, so again an option but I think we saw the MK Dons game where they played um it was like a four, yeah they played that was when they were trying to make the 4 2 3 one work with this squad and, and it wasn't but um Rico was actually the most likely player to score before he came off in that opening hour he had that cross at the back post and he's like headed it into the ground and gone over and I think he's got a good eye for goal I think if you've seen some of the goals that free kick of Burton was really good he's got a really good goal against Millwall um he's got a brilliant goal in pre-season away at Bournemouth and he wants a great strike um, he's got a good eye for goal. He's got a solid record. I think probably if you looked at his minutes per goal ratio this season, it's actually quite good. Um, so he's got a good eye, and I think he does. He is much better in a wide position than than a central one. But I'm not sure. Harness, for example, he can be good central as we kind of touched on with his directness. But I think he would, if you're going to play him central, I think it would have to be as a as a ten. Um, Sam Lyons, but he says the obvious choice is Jacobs, but he was crap last night. Rico, I mean. <laughs> 
I don't think Jacobs can play the second role as a as basically as a forward or a false nine or whatever Curtis plays up top because he he is more, more of a, a midfielder in that sense. I know Ronan obviously you know has played up top for Ireland. He, he played in that position for Derry, and I remember when we spoke to uh, Simon Collins in the Derry Journal, he was a bit surprised they wanted to play him so deep in the, on a left wing position. He didn't feel that necessarily suited his his style of play. So obviously Ronan has that pedigree that he can play up top and has done you know, with varying success for Pompey over over that period of time. Um, Lewis Portman, he said, I think we should stick with the 3-5-2. Therefore, I think I had me should partner Marquis. He was poor last night, but I've heard he scored against Bournemouth, as Johnsy mentioned to us then. Best option we've got as Jacob changes the formation. I think the first thing I want to say there is that I think we should stick to the to where we play. I think obviously it works. It worked, it's been it's actually worked against Sunderland. I know it was a bit mixed up with the conditions and stuff, but you don't want to change everything that has just worked purely because you've got one player out. How we manage that, I don't think Jacobs can come in. And as Jonty said earlier on about his performances, you know, against was it who bloody hell we talking Basingstoke? Yeah, absolutely. I do you know what? I always get confused with Basingstoke and Barnstable. <laughs> I used to live in Exeter. Just a bit of a difference between the two, there, mate. A little bit of Southwest geography for the Cornwall guy yeah. over there, Jonty. But yeah, no, anyway. Um, so yeah, I had me. I mean, maybe it works, but I would actually like to see him come off the bench, actually, if, if needs be, and actually score a goal. And then I think before he maybe gets a start at this moment in time. I know before we're clamoring, you know, with Marcus not scoring goals, and maybe. Had me could come in and do that, but I think at the moment in time he needs to come off the bench and and nick a goal and then and then build some build some confidence from there. Um, Daniel Cleve messages in. He says uh, Rico in stick to the same formation. Do you think it's fair to say people just see Rico because he's you know scored goals a little bit, looks dangerous. He's the natural fit. Yeah, last night he played as a left wing back and he, he has played there very briefly, but I don't think it suited him in last night's game. He played there. Against Wimbledon, he had a bit more. It was left wing back, but he was he was so high up as a left wing back, and that that suited him. I think um, if you put somewhere like Lee Brown, obviously he's got a lot more defensive experience. You know, it's very different. But I think Rico, as I've kind of touched on, is better wide in a front three. What I will say on Ronan Curtis, which I don't think gets appreciated enough, is how many. If you think about it, because he because obviously mainly he has the odd game centrally, but he's normally a left winger. How many headers does he win again? It's so much. I don't think there's a there's a winger in the league that wins anywhere close to about headers. And yes, it does sound a bit direct if you're playing a long ball or, or a goal kick up to him. But you know that, you know, barring Sean Raggett in defence, he's probably Pompey's best header of the ball. And and that, you know, for someone who's a left winger by trade, um, it is is quite it's quite surprising, really. Like if you can, I remember looking at it for a piece last season, and if you compared how much he won in the air to to any other winger in the league, he was, you know, head and shoulders and a few more headers above everyone else. And um, so, so yeah, I think that's something that they missed because John Marquis obviously a play up to him quite a bit, but he's not the best at winning flick ons. He wins a few, but not not anywhere near as many as Curtis does. So I think that's going to be an issue, especially as we know Rotherham can be a sort of gritty, tough to break down, in your face kind of side at the back. And, and that suits Curtis. K 
Curtis has got two things right. He's just got the he's got the leap number one, and he's got the timing, and he gets his body and the positioning in the right place as well. I think like there's a lot of people who are tall. We talked about we'll talk about Michael Smith in a minute when he comes on. You know, the Pompey, and he's got some of those strikers like you always thought Hawkins as well should win more things sometimes than when over sort of. But Curtis actually leaps, doesn't he, at the right time, and he gets his body in the right place. So he gets his body in front of the defender, so that if they were to try and come in on him, it, it would basically clatter him, and he'd win a free kick in that sense. So I think that Curtis's heading ability comes from yeah, he can leap, etc. But I think his positioning and his timing from his jumping is, is particularly good. Um, but yeah, you are right. And Rico is is of that ilk, you know, build. He's you know, he's quite tall. He's quick. He's got a good spring on him as well. So I suppose that could work. Paul Cooper messages in. He says, Rico, that's easy. We'll move on. Sam Perkins messages in. He says, Rico in. Marcus drop for Defoe, if only. Um, Gary messages in. He says, he was also called up for international duty. So not bad timing for the match ban. I'm not quite sure that happened. I don't think Ronan was called up for international duty I mean, right was, now. Was he? No. No, it's his fir- it's first time he actually got left out of the squad in a year. So, a bit of a blow, which I thought was quite harsh because in the build up to the September camp, I don't, he hadn't been in good form at all. But between the September camp and the October camp, that, he, he was really, really good. So, I, But I do think from what I'd heard from the Ireland end, there was quite a lot of good players coming back for them. And, you know, I think that didn't help. I don't think it was necessarily him, it was just they had other sort of championship Premier League options available. But no, surprisingly left at home this time. He's played excellently for yeah. Pompey, but the only thing I... It's really harsh, but the one thing I remember about him in a, a courtesy of an Ireland shirt was him missing that sitter against Andorra, but we won't mention that much more for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well on, Freddie. In case, I'm guessing he's listening. We've been generally positive about him throughout this episode. So uh, let's, not, let's not rinse him when I miss against Andorra. Bless him. Um, let's go and talk about the comment you talked about, Freddie. Alfie John messaged in. He said, with Ronan suspended, I think the best option is to put Harness up top with Marcus and have Aziz or Rico Hackett in the 10 spot. Ogilvy is hopefully back for one, um, which could hopefully be better at the back. And let's be honest, Sunderland never attacked, so we couldn't make any mistakes then. Just quickly moving on to Ogilvy at the back there, boys. John, do you know if he's supposed to be coming back in, number one? And secondly, do we feel that he comes back in, Freeman then goes to, stays at right back and he comes in to replace Williams on the left side? Is there a feeling on that? Yeah, no, I think... So it sounds like he's going to be back. Um, I don't think he played him last night because he's not played for a while and because they're short on options at the back. They didn't... If they were going to lose him in the game to injury, they'd rather lose him in a, in a well, proper game, if you like. It's interesting to see because I reckon I'd be surprised if he doesn't start. I know Danny Cowley's been desperate to have him back. Um, so I think he does come back. Realistically, formation-wise, I think he sticks with the same. Uh, without Clark Robertson, um, probably coming in, yeah, probably coming in as a left centre back in that three for Sean Williams. Um, interested to see what happens with Sean Williams actually if he does go that route, because I think in the last couple of games, Joe Morrell and Ryan Tunnicliffe have started to form a bit of a partnership. I personally don't think you can get Williams, Tunnicliffe, and Morrell in the same midfield. Um, we saw it a couple of times, and Tunnicliffe was shoved up as a ten. Didn't work for me. Um, and it's worked better when they've played, those two have played as two. It's actually kind of done the midfield a bit of a favour, um, being a couple of defenders short and Williams going back. I think that if you are going to get all three in the same team, that is how you do it. But of course, Williams and Freeman have been okay as as, as wide centre-backs. 
they're clearly not natural centre-backs. Obviously, Williams has played there a lot, but Freeman hasn't played there really at all. And Williams hasn't played there for a number of years. So I think having a proper defender slash centre-back, if you like, in Ogilvy will be a big boost. But it's just what you do, because obviously Williams is a good player at this level. So, And then you've got the midfield dilemma that you haven't had recently because Williams has been out of the equation almost. So a tough one. But it does sound like Conor Ogilvy will be back. And if he is, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't start. That adds so much security to the back three, adding Ogilvy there, because we mentioned in the transfer special that he's more suited to left-sided centre-half. We saw him at left-back a bit and he just didn't have the dribbling capability going forward, but he has all the technical defensive qualities. So that's a big boost. And I don't think you can fit Williams with Tony Cliff and Morel in the same side if you're playing a back three. It doesn't work, I don't think. The only time I understood why it was done was the 4-3-3 against Wiggins, try and hold up that midfield and limit their chances, which worked, but it didn't do enough going forward for me. So I think, unfortunately... Williams might be benched after that and a different option. Yeah, and we've got quite a tight squad, haven't we, as you mentioned. So I'm sure there's going to be games where someone else picks up a yellow or, as we've seen with Curtis, or somebody gets a knock and Williams will be rotated back into the team. But right now, you could look at Morel and Tony Cliff and they look quite dynamic together. And they seem to have an understanding who goes forward, who comes back, who's tracking, who's moving. And it looked very pedestrian before when you had the three of them in the middle. No one quite knew what they were doing, what their role was or... If they did, it was it didn't really fit. So, all right, let's just quickly move on. We spoke to Matt from the New York Talk podcast. We found out how good Rotherham are. So let's get into it with Matt from the New York Talk podcast. All right, I'm here with Matt from the New York Talk podcast. And Matt, thanks for coming on the show. No worries. Cheers for having us on. Yeah, nice one, mate. Well, Rotherham are always one of those teams that I think some people in well people looking at the, at the league can sometimes underestimate and every time you come down you tend to go back up again so what were the fan expectations this season and how did you feel you did over the summer going into the season uh the expectations was that it's going to be a tough league this league is as tough as it's been in possibly ever you know there's 12 to 14 teams expecting playoffs um there's going to be some very disappointed ones um, the summer transfer window started very, very slow. We didn't complete our business until probably, well, in, in, we didn't properly complete it until the week of the season starting. We got Wilgig on, on deadline day, but everything else happened quite late on, which is not obviously not ideal. But they've all turned out really well. Ollie Rathbone from Rochdale's uh, st- stunning signing so far. Reg Ed- Edmonds Green from Huddersfield, centre back, superb so far. There's not yet been a bad signing. So far, how often is that? Does that happen in a transfer? And it's very, very rare. So for us to come into the season like that and hit the ground running, and we never hit the ground running, there was positivity, but worry about everybody else in the league, and the, the transfers have just pushed on that positivity quite a lot so far. Obviously, you've got some of the same players you had before. Uh, Pompey legend Michael Smith playing up front for you again. He's he's already cracked on with the goal scoring. I mean, I remember watching him play and thinking. He's rubbish. I'll be honest. That's what I thought when I watched him play for us. He's one of those tall strikers. He couldn't jump well and never seemed to win the headers and his control looked poor. But then he goes to you guys and he looked like a mainstay in the championship up front for you. And again, he's got seven goals, I think, this season already. So what is why is Michael Smith so dynamic and why have Pompey fans maybe not seen the real Michael Smith? He's come on a lot, to be fair. When we, we, got, when we signed him from Bury, we signed him from their bench. He wouldn't even get it Bury team at the time. And... We, it brought him in for less than 50 grand. It would be next to nothing. And you could see that he wasn't 
he didn't look a very good player. He, he had his strengths, you know, he was tall uh, and whatnot, but he, he, he had a lot of work needed to be done. And that work is done. Credit to Michael Smith and credit to the management team. He's got his head down and worked. And his first touch is spectacular. At times, his first touch is just out of this world. And it wasn't two or three years ago. Uh, uh, strength, he's clearly stronger than he was when he came in. He's winning, unless, unless he comes up against a dominant centre-half, which is League 2, in League 1, sorry. He, he looked pretty comfortably in the air. Uh, and he's finally had a goals. It's last season when he started having the goals, before last season. The season before last in the Championship, if he could hit, find it back at net more, we'd have stayed up comfortably. But last season, he took all, almost all his chances. Um, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or, or what, but he, he looks, a, he looks a, top, a championship player. Um, and that's credit to him because he didn't look that when he first came in. So hats off to Michael Smith. He's, and we love him now. He'll, he'll probably go end at season out of contract. This will probably be his last year with us. So if he can get promoted, we would we would love him even more for that. You gave a lot of credit to the management team for making Michael Smith a better player as well as his own work mm-hmm. ethic. I always thought Paul Warren was one of the better managers I'd seen in a long time. Even even with the relegations on on his CV, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem to matter to me as an outsider looking at how Rotherham mm-hmm. play and how they've done. Are the fans still uh, presumably they're still fully behind Paul Warren and they trust him down to the ground, don't they? For the most part, yeah. I think when you come down, there's always that pressure. Uh, forget about the relegation. If you've come down, you are expected to do well because you all used to be at Championship. Um, we lost to Fleetwood a few a few weeks ago, 4-2. And the knives started to come out a little bit. And to be fair, it was a bad day. It was a bad performance uh, overall. And because it's early in the season, the question, question marks come out. We've, we've unbeaten in five since then. We've drawn two of those five. The two that we drew, we should have won. So there's, you know, because of that bad performance, there was an instant reaction. And I think that's what Paul Warren does. You know, he, 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 if something goes wrong, he corrects it. And then you go on a run. You're going to get bad results when you're not, you're not going to win every single game. But to have one bad performance out of our first 11 games, if that's going to continue from now to the end of the season, that's going to find you getting promoted. Um, so it's all, all about consistency in it. But yeah, for the, for the most part, Paul Warren has the support. There's obviously a few people um, but for the most part I think he's got everybody's support I think Matt in terms of um, Rotherham obviously you look at a rest league one there's so many sort of higher profile teams mm. and, and Rotherham are, you know they're always either in the championship or at the top end of league one do you think they kind of revel in that status of being underdogs you know not not many people always look at them and they should do because they always seem to go straight back up so there's there's clubs like you and like Wick in the last couple of years as well do you think mm. that kind of suits Rotherham better because there's just less expectation outside of Rotherham on them yeah, it's always been the case. Rotherham have always been the underdog. Wherever wherever we are, nobody fancies Rotherham. It's just not fashionable to like Rotherham United. So when people like Paul Warren and things like that, it is out of character for our football club. We It suits us better being in the Championship because we are a massive underdog. In, because we are this now yo-yo team, teams in League One give us a bit more respect on the pitch, which doesn't really suit us. We want them to not respect us so we can do what we need to do and sort of get at them a little bit. Uh, when teams come in sit on against us, it's really difficult for us. And that's that's sort of the respect that get built up through there. But for, in my time, Rotherham have always been an underdog club. Always, always. And yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I am a really big fan of being an underdog club. I don't know why. It just it really does suit us down to the ground. You were mentioning the way that Rotherham played earlier and they had this underdog status. I looked at the advanced stats before and Rotherham had the highest XG in the entire league. Mm. 22.31 from 16 goals. So it's clear 
from uh, from the stats on the pitch and the advanced stats that, that, that this Rotherham side can score goals. How do, how does Paul Warren make his side and set up the style of play to be that prolific? Do you think? I think it starts with the base, the back. We've we've changed in December last year, December January last year. We changed to three five two. Uh, it didn't work to start with. First month or so, it was quite bad. But since then, we've looked defensively solid. Even in the championship, we didn't lose by we we lost by one goal something like nineteen times last year, and that's obviously why we went down. But that shows that we don't defensively you must be sound to not to, you know, to not lose by that many goals. And I think it gives the Leicester team freedom. We've got Richard Wood at the centre of the three, who like I said, about a thousand years old. But it just gives him that extra bit of freedom. He's got two young lads next to him, so he can just do what he needs to do. He can be that big man at the back, be that leader. And I think that gives the rest of the team that confidence because we don't concede many goals. Like I mentioned, Fleetwood game, we we conceded four. That's that doesn't happen to us. That that was that was an outlier. That was one of those games which which were which were really strange. But other than that, we don't concede goals. So the midfield have a bit more freedom to push forward. It gives them the striker. It's not it's not desperate. The striker has to score that chance because we're not going to concede many. So there's much less pressure on the rest of the team. And that's how, for me, that's how it seems this season, uh, how, it, how it seems to be working for us. And mentioned Michael Smith, that's how he seems to be playing with less pressure on his shoulders. So I can only assume it comes from having a really, really good base. Yeah, he talked about that that base and Freddie touched on the expected goals for. I think Rotherham also had the fewest shots against as mm. well in the league, as well as the, uh, the most shots on target. So... It's it's one of those difficult ones that you're solid at the back as well as good going forward. Where would you say that Rotherham maybe have somewhere where they can be exploited? So you know, it's it looking you're looking like a solid all round team. But there must be some chink in the armor somewhere. It's probably if you've got a quick striker that will do us that will hurt us. Richard, I've mentioned Richard Wood, but if you can if you can isolate Richard Wood and get him on his own, and you've got a little bit of pace, you'll get the joy. Because he, he weren't quick when he was 20 years old. And he's 36 now, whatever it is. So you, you can get him. And that's why the three-back suits him, because he's got that extra bit of protection. Um, when we played Fleetwood, they had Callum Morton up top. And he ran Woody ragged. It just ran him all, it ran him all over the pitch. So if you can move Woody out with that central role, it'll then open that space up massively. And that's 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 where we've been hurt. That's the only way we've been hurt so far, really. All the, all the other goals have been set pieces, but they're not very, you know, not many set pieces. It's interesting that we don't have many weaknesses. That's not what not normally what we do. We normally have, you know, the slow this, that, and other. There aren't many weaknesses this year, which is a surprise. Um, in terms of you kind of touched on set pieces there. Um, I was reading Paul Warren's quotes today, and he said that he was a bit concerned. Well, not mm. concerned, but he was wary of Pompey's set pieces. They've, I think in the last four league games, they've scored two directly from free kicks and then another as a result, like a cross mm. from a free kick. Is, is that something that, you know, Rotherham obviously are known for being very defensively astute, but, you know, is that a potential uh, weakness? I, I don't think it's a potential weakness. I, I don't think we're as good as we could be. Uh, so we're, so I, I certainly won't put us at the top of the league in terms of defending set pieces. There is this idea that we are amazing at attacking set pieces, so we should be good at defending set pieces. It doesn't always correlate, and it hasn't for us. It doesn't necessarily correlate. Um, yeah, it, it's not necessarily because again, you've got I mentioned Woody again. He's a he's one of the best organisers in League One. You know, if you've got a clever free kick routine, it, it can hurt us. Um, but I wouldn't say it's the, I wouldn't say it's a massive worry every time we get every time we concede a corner. I'm not worried, but I, you're, you're obviously aware that, that, that it could hurt us. Um, obviously, you've got the Cowleys, and we know from their time at Lincoln when they when they were at Lincoln and come to New York just before we left to Huddersfield, 
they were so organised and set pieces were a big part of that and they did manage to nullify us on the day and hurt us through that way. So I assume that's what Warney means by that. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's a massive weakness, but we can be hurt, I suppose. In the long term, what do you think of the squad depth for this side? I was I was looking through, even up front, you got even if you start in Michael Smith and you got Will Brigg on loan from Sunderland, but you've also got Freddie Ladapo on the bench, depending on who you play. You've got Dan Barlaza and Oli Rathbone as centre midfielders. Do you think the squad is deep enough, in your opinion, for Rotherham to challenge at the top of the league for most of the season? I think for the first time ever, yeah. We talk a lot on our podcast. We've got a guy who's a bit older, about 50 years old. Rotherham's best team ever is one of the eight, one of the team in the eighties, and this team has been compared to one of our greatest teams ever. So you know, early days, but the, but man for man, we've got it, and we have got that strength and depth. Like I said, the midfield midfield is a it's an embarrassment of riches. We've we've signed our top signing this summer was a dolphin from Hamilton. It's not played yet because he can't get in team. Barley is a, if there's a better passer in the midfield in the League One than Dan Barley is, a, I would be amazed. He can do everything with the ball he wants to do in that central role. Uh, Ollie Rathbone is just, he's won the most tackles in the country, Ollie Rathbone, so far this season. He is just a ball of energy. Uh, and we've missed that for a, a little, for a couple of seasons, to be honest. Jamie Lindsay is similar, but he's injured. Chio Ogbeni is, is our right wing back, and he is lightning. He's so quick, but he is a, he's an out and out winger playing as wing back. So we've got we've got these people adapting, but they're doing really well. Wes Arden, who is who is a wing back, is an outstanding defensive wing back. Can't get in team because Chio's playing so well. For the first time in a long time, I think we have got strength in depth. And actually, with our transfer business being so late, there was a worry in early August that we wouldn't have that strength in depth. But it has now come in. We will Grig as well, adding up top to to help as well. We look well set in every single position, which is uh, which. What to get, if you're going to go get promoted, you need that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And looking so Rotherham generally looking quite solid, Matt, from your perspective mm. here across across the pitch, really. But if you look, just it's interesting to see what you think of Portsmouth. So from a Rotherham perspective, looking at Portsmouth, you know, what's your view on our squads, um, and how do you think you're gonna you match up against us at the weekend? Yeah, it's, I, I, you always assume Pompey are going to be up there. It's just what you expect. You expect Sunderland and Pompey and Ipswich. They're all just going to be up there. I do think Cowley's is a good fit. Eventually, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work straight away. It might take a bit of time. Uh, but I think that will come good. Um, John Marquis is obviously from down road here at Donnie Burney. So we, we all we know how good he can be, but we know how inconsistent he can be as well. George Hurst is, uh, I see he's on loan at you guys. I don't see him as a threat. <laughs> but yeah, it, with the Cowleys, we know we, I expect a, a compact team, an organised team who can hurt us on set pieces. Uh, am I right in saying Ronan Curtis is out for Saturday? Yeah, he's banned. I'm quite pleased about that, to be honest. So that's that's good because <laughs> he is a good player. Yeah. Have you saw Ryan Williams? Or has he gone to Oxford? He's gone to Oxford, yeah. 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 So yeah, Pompey will be up there. Whether whether it will challenge him at top two or it's, whether it's playoffs, Pompey are going to be in and around. So our next run of games is Pompey, Wickham and Sutherland. So we are going to know where we are. I think MK Dons is in there as well. So Pompey is part of that run where we are going to find out how good we are uh, this season. So it's going to be a hell of a tough game, I think. A little bit of advice, Matt. You just need to water the pitch against Sunderland and they're fucked, mate. Get some, get some <laughs> water on that and uh, that'll stop them playing, you know. Get the hoses out at half-time. Get in the corners. Apparently, they can't play without playing down in the corners and, you know, on the wings. So, a uh, little bit of advice there to pass on to your, to your grounds team. Pass it on there. All right. Um, let's, let's get into the juicy bit, Matt. So, what is your score prediction and who do you think is going to score for the game Saturday? 
I think it's really tough. Our home form's not amazing. As, as, as all these positive things we've mentioned about us, our away form is, is exceptional, but our home form is a bit iffy. And I think I don't think it's going to be pretty. To mention the cameras again, I, they'll make sure it's not pretty because if you make it pretty, I think we'll probably come out on top. We have good our midfielders being. Um, so I'm going to go one-one. I'll save Will Grigg for us, and I know he's rubbish, but it just feels like it's written in the stars for George to come on and score. It just feels like he, he just, I hope he doesn't. But it just feels like it's written. Do you think that's why Ronan Curtis got his uh, got another yellow so he could set George up for this game and uh, to prove all the Rotherham haters wrong? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I don't see it, Matt. At the moment, to be honest, I don't see it. All right, Matt. Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so we're on YouTube or anywhere podcast, uh, iTunes, Spotify. So it's New York Talk. It'll come up on there if you fancy on Twitter. IFS underscore Pod on Twitter. You'll find us there as well. And if you're as much an idiot as I am, New York is obviously the name of the uh, the stadium. So uh, there we go. I to ask and start the pod. But cheers, Matt. Appreciate it, mate. No problem at all. Thank you for having us. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. Right, so Rotherham are awesome and we are doomed to fail against them, boys. Um, are there any clinks in their armour? I think they're a tough team to break down, as we know already. They've got quality across the side. I like Ollie Rathbone. I thought he was a really good player. I actually, one of the players that me and Freddie spoke about on the transfer special and spoke about with Gabe Sutton as well about bringing him into Pompey. So his passing's good as well. He's always a danger going forward. Obviously, we all know about Michael Smith and Will Grigg seems to be actually doing something, you know, with Rotherham. Obviously, with some better coaching, less less pressure on him, I suppose, as well. But yeah, boys, how are we feeling about this? Fred, I'll shoot this to you first. How are you feeling about this game against Rotherham? And do you feel that, to be fair to Matt, he gave it the big one, and that's fair enough, but he then predicted a 1-1 draw. So how are you feeling about this game? It's going to be a rough game, a very, very rough game, especially with Curtis out. Um, Rotherham seemed to match up very well with the 3 5 2. It would be a very aggressive game from both sides. I looked at the pressing stats. Pompey are one of the most aggressive presses in the league, but so are Rotherham. They're both around the same level. So it's going to be a very intense game of which side can try and keep the control of the 90 minutes the most. And I think that's going to be the difference, really. John T, how are you feeling, mate? You confident? I am after Sunderland. I'm not after Sutton, but as we as we touched on earlier, there's probably not going to be many players from that Sutton game in the team. Rotherham are obviously on a really good run. I think it's 11 points from 15 for them, three wins and two draws. So clearly, when they're not, you know, when they're not 100, percent they still find a way to get points. So that is something you've got to be wary of, and I think that's been Pompey's Achilles heel recently. When they've not been quite good enough, they've not been able to hold out for a point too often. Of course, I was that late fight back at Plymouth, but but in general, they've not been able to do that. So that is going to be an issue. I think there's going to be a lot of confidence from Sunderland um, for the players that played in that game and haven't played in midweek. So it's going to be tough, going to be scrappy, quite cagey, but I think both teams are going to need to take their chances when they come. Freddie, what's your score prediction for the game against Rotherham? Very tight. I think it'll be a free-scoring game because of the tactics that I mentioned. I'm going to go over two or draw with braces, both for Michael Spiff and John Marquis. You bastard. That was my that was my prediction. John T, what's your prediction for this game against Rotherham? It's gonna be one all both players are gonna score against former clubs, Michael Smith and Sean Raggett. Right, I'm also gonna go for a no, do you know what? Fuck it, I'm gonna go big. I, I predicted us to lose against Sunderland. And maybe I'm gonna jinx it now, not, but I'm gonna go for a two one Pompey win. I think 
all good things come to an end, Rotherham. And they're not, you know, they're not the Galacticos. They're not Real Madrid. So let's see how it goes. I'm going to go 2 1. I'm going to go for a goal from Joe Morrell. There you go. And a goal from Sean Raggett, bullet header to win it. 2 1, Pompey. Let's have it. John T, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Where can people find you? Cheers, Hugh. Uh, at John T. Coleman on Twitter and via Hampshire Live. Sweet. Freddie, always a pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. You can find me on the, the news and on Twitter as well. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.